the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We're in the third chapter of Romans where Paul is playing the devil's advocate and dealing with some questions. He'd just gone through in chapter 1 and chapter 2 establishing and, and making it plain both for the Gentile and the Jew that righteousness, that is right standing with God, is not established by a man's behavior. And that God has no preferential design to treat one man above another or to extend one man above another His grace and righteousness. That there is, in fact, when it comes to redemption, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the inheritance of truth, there is no advantage in either being a Greek or Jew. When spiritually, there is no advantage. There are other advantages, but there is no advantage spiritually before Christ. Paul makes that point. And as he makes that point, he moves forward and he starts asking questions that he, the Spirit of God impresses upon him that are being asked probably by those who are reading his letters or hearing his letters and probably some questions that he had heard about. The goal of this is to let them know that what they have in Christ is what justifies them. That there is no justification in what they do, in their behavior. There is no justification in their heritage. There is no justification. A man cannot be righteous apart from God. The goal of these arguments for the fictitious adversary that Paul creates, who's asking these questions, is to make Christ irrelevant. That man can be righteous apart from God. Turn to chapter 3 of the book of Romans, and we'll, we'll start in verse 5. You know, whenever we reject the truth of John fifteen five, then what we are doing, we're seeking by virtue of our own behavior, our own determination, to make Christ irrelevant. In John fifteen five, he says, and we've read it many times, I am the vine... You are the branches. Whoever lives in me and I in him bears much abundant fruit. However, apart from me 
cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. And the point being that in any place where we are determined to have our will, where we are determined to have what we desire, where we believe that we are sufficient, where we believe that we are strong, we have taken John 15.5 and thrown it out the window. We've made Christ irrelevant. You see, that verse says, apart from me you can do how much? Nothing. That means at whatever point you believe that you have a strength, at whatever point you believe that you have a a standing, at whatever point you believe that you have an image to maintain, you have disregarded John 15.5. Because apart from Him, you can do nothing. This is what's going on here. In the third chapter of Romans, this fictitious adversary is asking questions and basing those questions that behavior should be disregarded altogether, that all behavior should be made righteous before God. All behavior should be righteous before God. We recognize that without Him we can do nothing, and I've heard many of us say that. And generally when we use that verse, it's interesting to me, I have people, I'll quote that verse at them because they'll be going through something and I'll say, you know, it says apart from Him you can do nothing. Oh, I know that. I know that. I mean, I couldn't do it without His help. Well, there's something wrong with that. You see, God doesn't want to help you. Did you hear me? God doesn't want to help you. Help is where two parties come together with the same goal and they assist or enter into an endeavor together. The problem is in that number. You see, what God wants from you is union life. He didn't come that you might have help. Now that's an aside, but many of us have heard this and even quoted it to ourselves as we begin to pray. How many times? I've done this many times. I've gotten before the Lord and said, now Lord, I, I want to put the disclaimer up first. Now Lord, I know that I wouldn't have anything if it weren't for you. I know without your help, I would never have come as far as I've come. Now this is Todd apart from God, praying to God. It's not entering into communion with God. It's not recognizing who God is. It's certainly not recognizing the fact that I couldn't draw air, pick myself up from the ground, or even separate myself from the dust of the earth apart from Him. It just doesn't work. It's me in the arrogance of belief that I have some standing, some strength of my own, recognizing that I am frail and need help. Well, now, I've heard that preached, but it's wrong. Sorry, it's just wrong. God doesn't want to help you. And that verse that many have quoted, that the Lord helps those who help themselves, it's not in the Bible. The enemy came up with that. Because there's nothing more beautiful to him than to see a child of God helping himself. Back to Paul's argument in chapter 3 of Romans, Paul is continuing to establish man's need for Christ. Let's look at Romans chapter 3, verse 5, where he says, But if our unrighteousness thus establishes and exhibits the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unjust and wrong to inflict His wrath upon us Jews? 
I speak in a purely human way. Now, the question is to be an adversarial argument against the conclusion that both Jews and Gentiles, or non-Jews, are judged alike under the law. Okay? Romans chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he says, For God shows no partiality, undue favor, or unfairness with Him. One man is not different from another. All who have sinned without the law will also perish without regard to the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged and condemned by the law. Neither Jew nor non-Jew can find justification in their behavior. That's what he's saying. It's a ludicrous argument. And basically, it suggests that God is unjust if He will not justify the sin of man because the sins of man, in contrast to God's righteousness, makes God's righteousness discernible. That's the argument. You want me to give it to you again? The argument is that God is unjust if He will not justify the sins of man, because the sins of man are in contrast to God's righteousness, and that contrast makes God's righteousness discernible. Everybody got it? In other words, if God is getting glorified either way, why should we be condemned? If God's getting glorified either way, why should we be condemned? I mean, look at the question there. It's not about repentance, is it? There's no grief in that question for sin against God. There's no desire to understand God. It's just plain fleshly logic. It supposes that God is unjust and unbalanced in His judging. Man, you know, reveals his condition when he starts asking questions like this, doesn't he? He reveals his condition when he's more interested in vindicating himself than drawing near and seeking the Lord. When he's more interested in vindicating what he has done than entering into communion with his Father. He reveals his heart. You see, the truth is that this argument is to justify the flesh. This argument is to make Christ irrelevant. A godless man or a carnal Christian wants one or two things. He either wants to be declared righteous because of his good works while ignoring what he considers bad, or he wants to be vindicated in his bad works. Both of them seek to make something other than Christ the standard. They seek to make Christ irrelevant. And the law, apart from the standard, which is Christ was simply a revelation of sin. It simply revealed man's inability to meet the standard. And keep in your mind, the standard is more than just the written Word. The standard is Christ Himself. Because in Christ Himself, you have not just the character or the behavior and the character, you have the person whose very being is the character. That's why when we talk about Christ or we talk about God and we say God is love, we mean God is love. 
And when we speak about the character of Christ or the characteristics of Christ, we mean that that is who He is. It is not what He does. And that is what the enemy will continually do, is separate what they do from who they are. He doesn't want you to believe that God in His person is love. He wants you to believe that God gives love. And we've been talking about, well, God will give you the love. Well, that's wrong. God gave you Jesus. God gave you a new creation. God made you new. And He literally joined love to you. So I don't ask God for love. I ask God to be life through me. And love through me. And it's union love. It's not just God and it's not just me. Tea is not just tea leaves. It's tea and water. It's made consumable. And the reality of it is that when we begin to separate what God does from who He is, then we walk in this duality. It says, God, send some peace here. God, send some protection here. God, send some provision my way. Listen, this is a hard thing. But you come to the place where you say, Father, I've got Jesus and that's all I need. My soul cries out for peace. Jesus is my peace. I believe I need provision, but Jesus is my provision. I want to live in hope, but Jesus is my hope. We don't separate these things out. And the Christian community for so long has said, these are the things that you need to ask God for. These are the things that you need to seek after. We don't seek after the things. We seek after the person. And I don't mean that we got to go looking for them. I mean that we ask that person to be preeminent in the soul. We live it out. Everything that I need to be the man that He's created me to be is in the life that He's put within me. It's in Christ. This man reveals his condition in the question of this fictitious individual. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, it says, But it is from Him that you have your life in Christ Jesus, whom God has made our wisdom from God, revealed to us a knowledge of the plan of salvation previously hidden, manifesting itself as our righteousness, thus making us upright and putting us into right standing with God, our consecration, making us pure and holy, our redemption, providing our ransom from the eternal penalty of sin. Every one of those things are in continuous present tense. It means that God is being that through us continuously. He is continuously through me being righteous in union with me. It's not me just being a vessel. I know we've taught that. I mean, we, we've used the illustration and, you know, I'm the glove and Jesus puts his... That's not true. It's more than that. It's more than just the skin that covers the hand. It is the two in union together. We are one in spirit. And He is those things. He is our righteousness. You see, righteousness is the truth of God. It's all that He commands and it's all that He's provided in Christ. What guides the new creation, the new man, is a righteous heart. The mind of Christ. The shepherd of our souls. 
You see, Christ is the standard for which the law describes. It is the standard. Now, I want you to understand this. It is the standard from which you were created. When the Bible says you were made in His image, it is more than somebody duplicating. It is literally the very presence and person of Christ. Well, how could Christ be in me and be in Him? And be? It's God. I don't understand it, but it's God. Okay? That's how. He's God. He can do it. But the truth is that we are not just shaped in the image of Christ. In the image of Christ, we have literally been formed in union with Him. So what does that mean? That means that His character is my character. That means that His future is my future. His past is my past. I have literally been put in Christ and Christ is in me. So the image of Christ is not duplicating Christ. It is Christ and you. Does that make sense to you? You know, I I try to define these things because what we think and what we believe sometimes are two different things, right? We don't ever think through these things. Okay, so if I believe that Christ has made me in His image, I'm still apart from Him, right? He shaped me and set me over here and let me go. Wound me up and sit me off, if I believe that. That's my emotional concept. So I walk this earth alone, occasionally calling back to the Maker. Okay, God, you installed this widget, and I'm not sure how it works. I need some help here. Right? No. Christ never left. Christ didn't separate Himself from me. He shaped me and formed me, and He put His life in me. So if I know that, then I'm never praying for God to come because I know He walked in with me. I'm never praying for God to give me something because all that He is is within me. I'm never without hope because who can be without hope when they walk in the room with God? You see? whole different way to look. I often wonder, didn't you wonder how in the world Paul could go from one situation after another with the confidence and joy, praise God, here I go, I'll probably get beat up, I'll probably get thrown to the dogs, I'll probably get shipwrecked. Gets on a boat, he knows he's going to sink it. I wouldn't get on a boat with Paul. The thing is, everywhere he went, he faced trials and tribulations and trouble. But you see, those were just externals. They were just externals. They're like us being in this building. How many of you have noticed it has a roof? Well, if it rained, you'd notice. For Paul, it was just externals. It didn't touch who he was. He knew with confidence and everything that he entered into, he entered into with the presence, the life of God Himself. He walked in faith and in confidence. Back to righteousness. Now, righteousness is a standard that is based in Him. Righteousness is the truth of God. All the commands, all of that He provides in Christ. It is the standard of the new man that the new man was made from. You see, He was the second Adam, and our lineage, our standard, our righteousness is in Him. The righteousness is a standard that is eternal because it is God. It is unchangeable, and it is as big as God Himself. 
To this day, we have certain characteristics of God that we define as parts of His righteous behavior, His right behavior. But He defines that Himself. We don't know the fullness of it. So this is why the argument is so ludicrous. That man could somehow achieve righteousness apart from God? It's like saying man could somehow become immortal, omnipotent, self-existing apart from God. Anybody want to take a crack at that? It's not going to happen. The righteousness of man is self-righteousness. The righteousness that God accepts is His character expressed through you. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel the righteousness which God ascribed is revealed, both springing from faith and leading to faith, disclosed through the way of faith that arouses to more faith. As it is written, The man who through faith is just and upright shall live and shall live by faith. How am I going to live? How am I going to handle the troubles in this world? How am I going to deal with all the externals that are coming against me? How am I going to deal with failing health? How am I going to deal with a bad economy? How am I going to deal with godless men? How am I going to deal with unruly family members? How am I going to deal with all the issues that are raining down on me? How can I walk upon this earth? Somebody save me! What does God say? I already have. The issue is faith. The issue is walking in that salvation and recognizing that your life is not in these externals. It's in Christ. It's in Him alone. The righteousness of man is what man can do apart from God. And often, it's dumbed down to social virtues, isn't it? But that's not the truth of it. You know, the word righteousness comes from the root word that means straightness. Righteousness is to be inherent in who we are in Christ. You know, the law describes the behavior of the righteous. And the new birth made us righteous so that the behavior comes from who we are rather than what we do and what we're instructed to do. See, we got the chicken and the egg in the right order. Matthew 5.20 says... Jesus speaking. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness, your uprightness, and your right standing with God is more than that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Well, I don't know if you've done any research on the scribes and Pharisees, but that's pretty intimidating. I mean, these guys had the law, that is, the Bible of that day, they had it completely memorized. They knew, and they lived to it religiously. They kept it. They'd also, much like our politicians, had lots of back doors written in. In fact, they'd written in so much into the law that it became more of what they had written in than the law itself. There was more written by man than there was written by Moses. And that's what they adhered to. Paul ends verse 5 by saying, I speak in a purely human way, and meaning this would be a product of an unregenerate mind. This is from a mind that is dominated by the power of sin. And as Christians, we know that we can have thoughts that are contrary to truth. We can have thoughts that literally will take us out of the truth and will lead us down the road of independence or selfishness or bitterness, you name it. 
They come disguised as our own thoughts, don't they? But they're trespassers. That's what they really are. They've trespassed into our mind, into a place that the mind of Christ is to have preeminence. And as they've trespassed, they've disguised themselves as your own thoughts, and they seek to establish a stronghold. And it's amazing to me, you know, he he introduces this question because he's dealing with the thoughts of the people, and the Spirit of God is guiding him in this. But it's amazing to me how the enemy can present a thought, and that thought is like dandelions. You've noticed there's just one in the yard? You go out there and go to pull that thing up, and the next thing you know, there's 20 in the yard. And you thought, I thought I pulled that thing up. Well, too late. The wind has already blown, and it's given seed all over the place. And now you've got a whole yard full of dandelions. Well, one thought, one thought. Well, I noticed that Sister So-and-so wouldn't even look at me when I came in the door. Well, you know, I don't even think she likes me. Well, I guess not. The way she lives, she wouldn't like anybody. I had her problems. I don't think I would get out of the house. You see, it just keeps going and going and going. Pretty soon I've got this case. I don't know why sister so-and-so didn't look at me. Well, this is the issue where we allow our thoughts to go unchecked. And the enemy introduces his own idea. And he does this to distract us from the truth. We are to keep our mind in him. Those thoughts should be dead on arrival. Trespassers should be shot on sight. Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation. Rest in His life moment by moment and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.